All right, Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 28. Let us now hear God's holy word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray again with the psalmist tonight. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Many times we sin, Father, because your word is not in our mind. We're not thinking about it. We're not considering it in what we are doing. And so we pray, Father, that this time would be blessed by you and that we would, what we would be doing here tonight is hiding your word in our heart that we might not sin against you in the days ahead. Lord, take the truths of your word, these foundational truths that we are considering, and we pray that you would store them in our hearts, that we might lead a life that is pleasing to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the ultimate destiny of human beings? What is the ultimate destiny of redeemed human beings? Where will we end up? And what will we be doing? Now, sometimes people think about answering those questions without thinking about Genesis chapter 1. But I believe we should think about Genesis chapter 1 as we think about what our ultimate destiny in this world is. Tonight, we pick up where we left off last time, talking about restoration. The restoration of the dominion of man over God's created order. Let's just do a bit of review here real quick. We started out introducing this idea of dominion as we see it here in Genesis chapter 1, and we sought to define what dominion was about. Then we went on, number two, to talk about the nature of that dominion. How does that work itself out? What does it look like for us to exercise dominion in this world? And then third, we talked about the corruption of dominion, that man fell and Thus, he exercised a corrupt rule in this world, and we see evidence of that all around us today. But we argued last time that God's not done with the plan. He's not done with the original plan, and so he has a restoration project for the dominion of man and all centers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus, as the God-man, is the one who has ultimate dominion. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is seated there as a flesh and blood human being. And so we talked about that, how God's plan to restore all things in Jesus Christ includes this dominion, that Jesus comes, and it's no coincidence that what he receives, that what the Son of Man receives when he comes to the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7 is dominion is an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, that will never pass away. Now, tonight we want to look at us. 
what role do we have in all of this? Well, to answer it simply and succinctly at the outset, God's plan for you and for me is to restore us so that we can exercise dominion in this world righteously and properly. And he does that by saving us and uniting us to the great king, bringing us into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight we want to focus on me and you, the people of God, and how God's plan is to restore the dominion of man through his elect, through his church. Now let me repeat a couple of things that I've said on more than one occasion, but it is so important. And that is, we must assert again here that God's original plan has not been abandoned. Okay, what do we have here in the very beginning? We've got God creating man in his image and giving man, charging man to take dominion over this world. What happened in chapter 3 when man fell into sin? Did God say, oh, that didn't work out, crumple up that plan and throw it away? No, no, God began his restoration work to bring man back to the place of having proper righteous rule over this world. So what you will see here in Genesis 1, you will see throughout the rest of the Bible, hopefully, as we're going to survey some of that tonight, and you'll see that God has not abandoned the original plan. It's still the plan. He is working it out. He's restoring it through Jesus Christ in us, in his people. What God is doing in Jesus Christ is not something completely different from what we have in Genesis 1, if I can put it that way. No, what the Lord is doing in his Son, in the Christ, in the Messiah, is he is bringing us back to this place where we can fulfill the original plan. Moreover, I think it's very important to learn something that's been taught to me and I have learned from other godly brothers and sisters, and that is how to connect all of the Bible. Sometimes we read the Bible like it's a disconnected series of, you know, moral and spiritual truths. Like, you know, we just pop it open on Monday morning. Okay, uh, here we are in Psalm 116. Let's read a little bit of that. And sometimes we read it that way and we don't get the total story. We don't get the overall overarching plan that God is working out from start to finish in the Bible. But once you start connecting Genesis 1 throughout the rest of the scriptures, you see the cohesion and the symmetry of the plan. That God has a magnificent plan and he's working it out starting in Genesis and going all the way to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So to take Revelation, which we'll go to in just a moment, what's God doing in the book of Revelation? He's fulfilling the plan. He's fulfilling the original plan of Genesis chapter 1, and I hope you'll see that tonight and come away with that idea that Revelation is not some completely different thing from Genesis, but it's all connected, that all of this is connected all throughout Scripture. Okay, so let's go from Genesis then, and let's turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Now, there are lots of different places in Scripture that I want to refer you to, but I'm going to camp out in Revelation, and I will read you some of the others. 
Revelation chapter 1. Now we want to break this down tonight into two parts, basically. God has a restoration plan for human dominion that involves his people. He's going to restore a people unto himself so that they can have righteous rule over this world. There's a present aspect to that, and there's a future aspect to it. Okay, so we're going to think about those two things. God's restoration plan for our dominion in the present and in the future. Let's start with the present. Now, just keep your place there in Revelation chapter 1. We'll be there in just a moment. But first of all, how do we as the people of God, as Christians in this world, in this life, how do we exercise dominion right now? Well, first of all, we've already touched upon this, so I'm not going to go into it in any detail. We did that hopefully before. But we exercise a physical material dominion right now in this world. How do we do that? We do that by cutting grass, clearing fields, planting gardens, raising children, and so on and so forth. What are these things? We say, well, Pastor Nick, those are just everyday things that we do. Oh, no, there's much more significance to it than that. So when you're in your backyard and you're beautifying that backyard and you're creating a vegetable garden or a flower garden or something like that, you are taking dominion over that piece of creation for the glory of God. You are showing the beauty of the creator's creation by not letting that place just deteriorate and letting the weeds take over, for example. Now, as redeemed human beings, we do this in a particular way now. You say, Pastor Nick, even unbelievers plant gardens and grow flowers. Does that bring glory to God? In a certain sense, it does. But for believers, what's different for us now is we now see the significance of these things in the light of the Lord. So what do we do? We go and we plant a garden a vegetable garden, and hopefully what you do is don't act like an atheist with your vegetable garden. How might you act like an atheist when it comes to your vegetable garden? Oh, you'll just go out and pick tomatoes and not give a second's thought to the Lord. You'll go out and you'll look at your flowers and you'll say, how beautiful, how awesome that is, and just go on about your merry way and never say a thing in praise to the Creator. But now as a redeemed human being, Now you go pick that tomato and you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing this. You go and you look at these flowers that are growing in your flower bed and you say, wow, look at that. Look at how amazing these flowers are. We have some flowers we're growing. We're growing dianthus in the front. If you've been at the house, you've seen them. It's just a little bunch on a stem, on a long stem, these little bunch of flowers that are delicate and intricate, and beautiful. And now, as a redeemed sinner, we look at those flowers and we say, glory to God. May God be praised for these beautiful things that he has created. You see how that's different? So the unbeliever, he's going to go out to the garden. He's going to be like, well, these are great flowers, and that's the end of it. But for the believer, now we exercise righteous dominion. We grow these flowers, and this is for the glory of the Creator And on and on we could go. We do all things now, as Paul says, for the glory of God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now believers exercise dominion 
over the physical material world for the glory of God, whether that's growing vegetables, flowers, or what have you. Secondly, this dominion that we now have is not only a physical reality, but also a spiritual one. There is a spiritual aspect to dominion. First of all, we have a new status. Think about our status. We have been transferred into what? We've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have been made citizens of the kingdom. So, for example, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Thus, we are now a part of the kingdom of the one who has ultimate dominion as the God-man. In addition to that, now let's turn to Revelation chapter 1 here. And I want to show you this concept of dominion right here at the outset in Revelation. Chapter 1 and beginning at verse number 5. John writes, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the what? And the ruler of the kings of the earth. Ah, there's dominion. Jesus is the ruler over Caesar, over every earthly sovereign. Jesus is their ruler. So there you see the dominion of Jesus, the God-man. Let's keep going. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Now, I realize you may have a different English translation tonight. Your translation may say that he has made us a kingdom. Okay, there's a bit of a difference there in terms of whether it should be kings or kingdom. But I have the New King James, and I'm going to stick to that. But either way, the basic idea is the same. Jesus Christ has made us what? Kings. Or if you're a lady, queens. He's made us rulers. And notice the tense of the statement. Is this something we are looking forward to? No, it's a present tense reality, right? Verse 6 again. He has made us kings. How about that? Now you say, is it coincidence that at the very beginning of the Bible, we hear, let them have dominion. And we get to the end of the Bible, what's Jesus making us? He's making us kings. Is that a coincidence? No, that is not a coincidence. That, there's a direct connection between those two things. Finally, notice at the end of verse 6 there, to him be glory and... What's it say? Dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so there you have dominion again. In an ascription of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, to him be the dominion. He's the great king over all things. All right, so there you see, present tense, we are kings, we are queens. We are those who rule and reign. Who made us that? Jesus made us that. Jesus is the one, by his work of redemption, who restores us to that status, that status of king and queen over the created order. Now, I want to give you one more thing. You don't have to turn here. But this is an amazing statement from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, he writes, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay, 
there is resurrection. As Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so spiritually we are resurrected from the dead, and one day physically we shall be resurrected from the dead. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. Again, resurrection. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, does that sound familiar? It's the same pattern with Jesus, right? What happened with Jesus? Jesus was resurrected. He was raised up. He ascended up into heaven. And what did he do when he got there? He sat down. What happens to his people? The same pattern takes place for his people. They are resurrected spiritually and they are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Through Christ Jesus, the God-man, our Redeemer, we are seated in places of authority in the heavenlies with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not taking the place of Jesus Jesus is the ultimate king. We are the lesser kings, subordinate to him. But nevertheless, we are still given this awesome place with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And we'll see the same language or something similar later on here in the book of Revelation. So just stop for a minute and just revel in that. That is your status. You are a member of the kingdom of heaven, the greatest kingdom in the universe. You are a king, or if you're a lady, a queen. And you have been raised up and seated together with the ultimate king in heavenly places. Does it get any better than that? No, there's no better thing. Now, when I was young, you say you're young now. Yeah, I know. When I was younger... I wanted to be somebody. You say, Pastor, you told me this story before. Yeah, I know. I'm going to tell it to you one more time. Okay? I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be somebody important. So what am I going to do? I'm going to join the Marine Corps. I'm going to be somebody important. I'm going to wear that uniform, and people will stop and stare. And I'll be somebody important. But... How does that even compare to this? It doesn't. There is no comparison. People are spending their lives looking for significance and prominence and status and power and wealth and all this stuff. And all along, there is this. There is this. Jesus makes me a king. Jesus makes you a queen. I mean, it's almost too too good to be true, right? But it's not too good to be true. It's God's word and it is true and trustworthy. This is the most exalted status you could possibly get. I mean, you could spend your life in the the spotlight of Hollywood and spend all your time there with adoring fans for your entire life. And that would still be nothing compared to this. I mean, did you know this was in the Bible? (laughs) It is right there. Kings made kings by Jesus Christ, raised up and seated in heavenly places. So you're meant to believe that and now act like the king or queen you are. You're now meant to say, that's true, therefore 
I will live in this manner. I'm going to rule and reign the universe with Jesus Christ. How then should I live? In what manner should I conduct myself on an everyday basis? Now that you see we presently have spiritual status of dominion through Christ, let's just quickly consider how this dominion gets exercised. Now, this is not exhaustive. You can probably think of a lot of other things we could talk about. I'm just going to give you a couple of things of how we exercise spiritual, excuse me, dominion in this world as believers, as kings and queens unto the Lord. One way this is done is through the raising of children in a Christian home. Remember the connection back in Genesis chapter 1 between dominion and be fruitful and multiply. Those two things are connected. How is dominion going to be taken by Adam and Eve? Well, Adam and Eve can't take dominion over the whole globe. They're going to have to have kids. They're going to have to be fruitful and multiply, and those image bearers are going to have to spread out and do what? And fill the earth. And spread out and fill the earth. And what are they going to do? They're going to take dominion over this patch of creation, over this neck of the woods, until the whole world is filled with divine image bearers who rule and reign in righteousness for their creator. And so what are we to do in this life? If the Lord provides and if the Lord enables, we have children and we raise those children to know and love their creator, to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, when we do that, what happens? Well, we've got these little image bearers, and we teach them and we train them, and then we send them out at some point. 18 years old, that's it. You just push them out the door. They're, they're gone. No, just teasing. You send them out at some point, and what are they going to do? By God's grace, Lord willing, they're going to go out, and they're going to serve the Lord in some other part of creation, and they're going to exercise dominion and do so in a righteous manner. Now, I understand that requires the Lord to save them and give them grace. I understand that. But generally speaking, we raise our children to know the Lord and send them out to do what we have done. Number two, this is also done through evangelism or the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Remember what Christ commissioned his church to do before his ascension Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Why all the nations? Why not just go to the Americans or the Spaniards or whoever? Why all people, people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation? Because Jesus is a universal king. He has dominion over the whole thing, and therefore there must be a people that are in allegiance to his kingship all over the world. And so what do we do? We go out and we preach the gospel. We share the gospel with people. God saves people. And we've got more people who are redeemed and restored to their function as those who bear the image of God and those who are to exercise a righteous dominion in this world. And the kingdom of God grows and the kingdom of God spreads and the kingdom of God grows and spreads, right? And now we've got God exercising his righteous rule 
through people in Mexico, people in America, people in Africa, all over the globe. Why? Because God promised His Son the whole thing. Psalm 2, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. That's what the Father promised the Son. And so when the Great Commission is fulfilled by the church, what's happening is the fulfillment of that that people are being saved and incorporated into the kingdom of God and thus being restored to exercise dominion under the great King Jesus Christ and extend the righteous rule of man throughout the world. Thus, when we're engaged in the tasks of raising children to know God and believe in Jesus Christ, we're not doing something completely different from what is described in Genesis 1. In fact, we are doing what Genesis 1 instructs us and shows us to do. When we evangelize, yes, we are preaching the gospel to people because we want people to be reconciled to God. We want them to have their sins forgiven, them to have a home in heaven, etc., etc. But don't think about evangelism as if it's some completely different thing from what God's purpose is in Genesis chapter 1. All right, so that's present. We rule and reign in the present, but we know there's more to it than that, right? You say not, not everything is as it should be right now, and we're looking forward to a future time in which the reign will be perfect, will be complete, will be what God wants it to be in, in its fullness. Okay, so now let's think about the future. Okay, so turn from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Chapter 2, and I want you to see in chapters 2 and 3, these promises that Jesus makes that use the language of dominion. All right, let's start in chapter 2, and chapter 2 and verse, oh, let's begin at verse 24. This is the church, uh, the letter to the church of Thyatira. Verse 24 of chapter 2, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Here we go, verse 27. He shall what? He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. So you see that language there, right? You see rule in verse 27. What does Jesus promise to his overcoming people? He promises them rule. Now you say, Pastor, I want to understand all that that means. That's, that's some other time. I just, tonight, I just want to point out to you the language of dominion, the language of rule as we have it there for the people of God promised by Jesus Christ. All right, now chapter 3. Chapter 3 and the letter to Laodicea. The lukewarm Laodiceans. Now, if Jesus were going to make a pitiful promise to somebody, he'd probably make it to this group. <laughs> because this ain't, this ain't, at Southern Ford, this is not a fine group 
an upstanding exemplary group of Christians here. Okay? You got big problems in Laodicea. But right here to the church of Laodicea is one of the most remarkable promises in the scriptures. All right, chapter 3, and starting at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Here we go, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You say, did we just read that right? <laughs> yes, we did. Let's read it again. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. What is that a promise of? It's a promise of rule alongside Jesus Christ. Jesus says, the one who overcomes, the one who resists temptation, the one who is faithful to the very end, will sit with me on my throne. Now, I don't know about you, but you might want to say, no, no, no. Cabin in the corner glory land, Lord. Just direct me to the other side of the tracks in heaven, because that's all I deserve. Where is the low-income housing in heaven? That's where, that's where I belong. Now, we know that we don't deserve anything. There's no such thing in heaven. I hope you understand that was a joke, okay? We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve any status or any place that, you know, that's, that's great or exalted or anything like that. But it's not humility to say to Jesus, oh no, Jesus, that promise is not for me. No, no. If Jesus says it, it's for you. You say, I'm, I'm going to sit with Jesus in his throne? Yes. That's what he said. Now, again, don't come up with two different categories of Christians here. Well, you got some Christians, they don't overcome, and they just, you know, and then you got other Christians, they overcome, and maybe this is for them. No, all Christians are overcomers, conquerors through Jesus Christ. And so this promise is for all of the people of God. That's a big seed, isn't it? The throne of Jesus. But what this means is, brothers and sisters, we will reign with Jesus over this world. I mean, that's awesome, is it not? Again, does it get any better than that? Could you attain any higher position? Could you reach any greater height than to sit with Jesus in his throne? No, there is no greater place. There is no more exalted position than this. And he promises it. He holds it out to you and to me. Now again, if you can just kind of picture it, Jesus beckoning you to, to come and sit with him in his throne, you want to say, no, Lord, I'm ashamed that I'm even here. I don't deserve to be here. Thanks for forgiving me. Just shuffle me off somewhere. No, no, no. No, all believers will rule and reign with Jesus Christ 
for all eternity. What an awesome thing that is. And notice, notice finally at the end of verse 21, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Again, you see the connection between Jesus and his people. What Jesus does, his people do. What Jesus receives, his people receive. Now, not in exactly the same way, okay? We're not the son of God. We know that. God forbid. But there is such a connection between Jesus and his people. There is such a pattern that Jesus lays down that his people walk in that same pattern and receive these glorious benefits like Christ. Now, finally, where is this reign to occur? Where will it take place? Okay, now turn from chapter 3 to chapter 5. Chapter 5 is the great chapter that gives us this glorious vision of the Lamb taking the, the scroll and the praise for the Lamb that erupts in heaven. And so what we want to do is look here at part of this song that is sung in heaven. Let's begin at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings. There it is again. And priests to our God and we shall reign where? On the earth. Now, many times Christians have the idea in their heads that they're going to die, they're going to be released from the prison of their body, they're going to live forever as a spirit, as a disembodied spirit, no flesh and blood, for all eternity in heaven. It's a common idea that many people have in their, eye, in their heads, and it's wrong. It's wrong. You are not going to spend all eternity as a disembodied spirit in heaven. Why? Because God's plan is to resurrect his people, right? What is that resurrection? It's physical. It's material. Your spirit and your body will be put back together, so to speak, glorified, and you will live forever in a renewed universe as a physical, spiritual being like Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Until that time comes, until the day of the resurrection and the return of Christ, you will exist as a disembodied spirit in heaven. But that's temporary. That's the intermediate state. That's not the final thing. That's not the end. That's not the goal of all things. Again, remember when God created Adam and Eve, he made them physical. He made them flesh and blood beings. God didn't throw that out when man sinned. No, his goal his restoration plan is to have physical, glorified human beings reigning where? On the earth. And so, now hopefully you understand, maybe a little bit more, why we have a new heaven and a what? And a new earth, right? So, when you die and you go to heaven, you're not kissing the earth goodbye. Never see you again. Oh no, you'll see it again. When you see it again, it'll be renewed. It'll be restored. It'll be renovated. 
all things will be made new. John writes in Revelation 21.1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the scene of our eternal reign. The earth. The universe. This created world. This world that God made. That is what God intends for us to rule and reign over. Now you see the symmetry. Do you see it? Between Genesis 1, between the very first book of the Bible... And the last book of the Bible, we've got all this talk about ruling and reigning and kings and all that sort of thing. And we've got talk of the earth and the renewal of all things, resurrections, etc. It all goes together. It's all connected. Let's bring it to a close here. I hope you can see God's great restoration plan in Jesus Christ. In Christ, human rule over this world has been reestablished. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, Jesus said. In Christ, sinners have been redeemed and restored to their original purpose to take righteous dominion over God's created order. We now, in the present, serve him as kings and queens. But our dominion in this life is flawed. It's incomplete, right? It's not perfect. We're still sinners and we still sin in many ways. But one day... When Christ returns, our reign will be perfect. It will be perfect because we will be perfect. No more sin, no more disobedience, no more unrighteousness. Just original purpose restored. And we will do what we were intended to do. How glorious will that be? I mean, you can't. You can't even fathom, right? It's like, what is that going to look like? I don't know exactly, but I know it will be awesome. It will be great. This is what we have to look forward to. This is the destiny of the people of God. Not dominion thrown away after the fall, but dominion restored in Jesus Christ and in his people. May he be praised. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at your glorious plan. How it all fits together how it all goes together so well. And so we praise you, Lord. We praise you for how you created human beings in the very beginning, how you gave them glorious purpose, and how when they fell into sin, you did not give up on them. You did not wipe them out and destroy them all, but you had a plan. You had a plan to restore them through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we praise you for this glorious plan. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, for who you are. You are the great King. To you is all dominion and power and might and rule. You are the God-man seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all things. And you promise, you promise to us that one day we will sit with you in your throne what an amazing promise. We're tempted to disbelieve it, Lord. We're tempted to not believe it. How could that be? How could you take sinful people like us and bring us to sit with you in your place of power and dominion? But we believe your promise. We are humbled by it. We are in awe of it. And we ask that in this present time, as we look to that future day, that you would help us to live 
as the kings and queens you've made us to be. You've restored us, you've redeemed us, you've forgiven us. We thank you for that. Help us this week and in the days ahead to exercise dominion, both physically and spiritually, in the area of creation that you have allotted to us. Help us to do so faithfully. Help us to do so to bring glory and honor to your name, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things tonight for your glory, and we pray in your name. Amen. As you leave tonight, may grace be with you. Amen.